Welcome home, everybody. Glad you're here. I feel like it has been, well, really not all that long since I last saw you. But, I mean, my summer has gone fast, and I'm trying to think, how can 12 weeks go by that fast? But this is a special day. In fact, I think it's a day that eclipses the historical day of yesterday. And so I think we ought to celebrate in a big way because it is a special day. And I thought, well, maybe we could do um, balloons and confetti that would drop down from the ceiling, but that's a big budget item and we can't do that. And so then I thought, oh, let's take a selfie, all of us together. Well, we can't do that because it's been done. Matt Proctor's already done it. Or maybe hand out donuts. He did that too. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to split right here. You guys can decide which side you're on. And we're going to sing one of my very favorite choruses from when I was a little girl. And you're going to do all the actions and everything just like we used to. It's hallelujah, 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 praise ye the Lord. You ready? Okay, you guys are starting. And we're going to do it, you know, competitively. That's the whole fun of it. Okay, here we go. Hallelujah, 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 praise ye. I'll get into it more than that, people. Praise ye. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Here we go. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. That's the 62-year-old way of being hip. Yeah. It really is a big deal for some of you to be here. Welcome, freshmen. Welcome, transfers. Because you're a long... Oh, I got out of breath. <laughs> because you're a long way from home, and I know some of you are probably a little homesick. You're worried about mom and dad back home. There were so many tears. Let me just ease your minds. They would have cried just as hard if you would have stayed. <laughs> Things are good on the home front. I want you to, um, especially, I just want to talk to you freshmen and transfers and the rest of you listening because you're going to need a refresher as to why you're here. At uh, OCC, you're going to have all the experiences that you normally would on any college or university campus. You're going to have a great education here. You're going to have professors that I don't know where you'll collect a finer group of professors, and uh, they care about you, they're passionate about what they teach, and what's more, they're available. They really try to be available to you. But we try to go the extra mile here. We are, um, our professors dress extra special, some of them, like a Jim Dalrymple. I mean, he's Mr. GQ on campus. Or you've got Doug Aldrich and the Western attire that he wears. I mean, he's our resident cowboy. And then there's this one guy that can put on Harry Potter glasses, a Mr. Rogers cardigan, Justin Bieber skinny jeans, and pull it all together and look awesome. We go the extra mile here. Some of our professors are just funny. I mean, every time I'm around Coach Lamb, he cracks me up. And Griff and Tammy Nelson, who's just a hoot. And can I say Bob? I never have met anyone that is more aptly named 
because you really are witty. <laughs> and then you've got professors that, that just are so, their heads are full, so full of knowledge that they're swollen. I mean, and that's why their hair doesn't meet together anymore. <laughs> it's not genetics. The baldness is not genetics. It's just because they are so full of information. I mean, you think about it. You've got Tom Lawson and, and Dr. Seuss and Aunt Zeus and, <laughs> and Chad Ragsdale. And I don't know where that leaves Shane Wood, but <laughs> just teasing. But OCC is not just Ozark Christian College. What makes this place so incredibly inviting and unique is that we are not just a college campus, but we are a community. In fact, we could say Ozark Christian community. So when you move on to this college campus, you are moving into a community. Now, people, there's communities all over the country, but I don't know that everybody's jumping up and down to get into them. In fact, it's just north of here. I know it was there in the past, and I'm assuming it's still there. There's a backwoods community that the only thing that really holds them together is a love of guns and a hate of everybody else that's different from them. My mom was in a community for four and a half years, a nursing home community. And the thing that held them together was just dementia and Parkinson's and things like that. If you've been listening to the news lately, you know that uh, one of the things they're investigating now is the community of a fraternity because when the hazing incident was taking place and they went from station to station seeing how much they could drink, one young man wasn't able to hold all that drink and so he fell down the stairs. The thing that's really bothersome above the drinking is that community of buddies who should have been taking care of this guy didn't even call it in until 12 hours after the fact. And the young man died. I grew up in Waukegan, Oklahoma. Population 490. It was an idyllic community. I mean, I loved growing up there. When we went trick-or-treating in Waukegan, we didn't need parents to chaperone us because we could just be turned loose. The town was safe. And now you go back and it's just a... The school's closed, the stores are, cl- are closed, and it's mostly just broken down homes with a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol. And now they say that community has advanced. Technology has brought us into a new age. And I'm not so sure that Facebook and texting and FaceTime is really much of an ex- uh, a reason for community. If there's anything besides fake news on the Internet, I think it's probably fake community. Community doesn't necessarily mean anything good until Christ is in the center of it. And that is what happens here. When you move into Christ, as you all are, you move into his community. When you join yourself with Jesus, you join yourself to his family. And we get to live that out daily here. I don't know if there will ever be a time in your life again where you're going to live this close to so many people. For you extroverts, that is so energizing. You can hardly wait. For you introverts, it is freaking you out. Jesus, just give me some space. 
But think about it. That's, that's what it is. That's what's so much fun about being in the community of Jesus. I mean, you've got Oklahoma rednecks like me rubbing shoulders with some of you California surfer dudes. I mean, how's that? And you're going to be next to people who come from exciting, exotic places like Russia and Africa and Brazil and I don't know what all. And even Tyro, Kansas. I mean, how exciting can you be there? Some of you came from strong, healthy families and others of you feel like you've got dysfunctional tattooed across your back. Some of you came with a mature faith. Some of you... Not so much, but that's the family of Jesus. That's the family of Jesus, but it's not going to be perfect. Because those very things that make us so fascinatingly different are the very things that can cause us to stub our toes once in a while. And we begin to hurt the unity that's supposed to be a part of community. So if you're going to have the very best experience you possibly can here at Ozark, What is it that you need to know when you move into this community? The first thing you probably need to bring with you is a change of attitude. We are self-centered people. You just stop and think about it. Some of you guys have probably been here now for three or four days. You've been in and out with your car, and and I I can just abet this that if you came in on one day, you didn't get the parking spot that you were planning on. And it just really kind of miffed you. Or you got your room assignment, and bummer, your dorm room faces the wrong way. You get to look at the trees for the rest of the year. All the exciting activity, the girls' dorms, are on the other side. And the thing you're going to get to watch is leaves turning color. Or you've got your um, roommate, and you already got this kind of funny feeling that maybe she's not going to be the best thing for the me that's deep down inside of me. Or you've been inconvenienced already by your class schedule. I mean, 7 o'clock classes, whose idea is that anyway? And and we primp and we preen and we style and we stare and we look in the mirror and we try to present the very best me that we can. See, we really like our me's. We love our me's. And it's into that hard-to-swallow truth that Jesus would say these words, this command. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and We have no problem with that. That that seems right. But then he added on this other little thing. And love your neighbor as who? Yourself. I just want to camp there for a minute because I know there's some of you in this room that are probably thinking, well, that lets me off the hook because I don't even like myself. I sure don't love myself. I think when Jesus was saying those words, he wasn't thinking about warm, fuzzy feelings we feel towards ourselves. I think he was thinking about the attention that we give to ourselves. See, self-love, self-adoring can look very similar to self-hate, self-loathing. Sometimes they're not that far apart. 
They just stand on there. It's just self-love is standing on its head a little bit, a little bit convoluted. And I'm not a counselor and I'm not trying to say something there. Other than a lot of times this self-love, this self-hate is not really all that different because the focus is still on me. And Jesus said, when we move into community, we need to give our people that we're living with the same attention, the same awareness that we would give ourselves. That's how you build the unity that's always supposed to be in community. First, um, Corinthians. I just want to take a, a little while just looking at this book. I appreciate it because it's written to a young church. A young church, by their very attitudes and behaviors, were dissing the unity of their community. And if you diss the unity, you have disunity. And it really was, in chapter 1, junior high stuff. We've all done it. It's when you draw circles of exclusion around you and your little group. And, and so what was going on in that first chapter is, oh, some of them got all behind Peter because, well, Peter, he was one of the original 12. I mean, why wouldn't you be behind Peter? And others were gathering around Paul because, oh, my goodness, he's the one that brought us the gospel in the first place. I mean, he's our spiritual dad. Or some of them would get behind Apollos because, well... Like we all like. I mean, he, he's just a good preacher. He's eloquent. He's educated. And so all this division that was going on had gotten so bad that it must have sounded a little bit like cheerleaders, rival cheerleaders, at a Friday night high school football game. Let me show you what I mean. I mean, I'm of Cephas. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Rah, rah, rah. I'll spare you the cartwheel, but and I'll spare me the splits. <laughs> and it broke Paul's heart because it was tearing up the community. See, I don't know of anybody, myself included, that has ever joined an exclusive group for the good of that group or the community at large. The reason we join groups is because it makes us feel a little more superior to everybody else. It feeds the me, in, or it feeds the me that's deep inside of me. Church math, I've noticed, is a very interesting thing. It's fascinating. You can do all the adding you want. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Sometimes you're going to have to do some subtracting because church discipline is just a fact. Sometimes we have to do it. You can multiply because God said, come and give me whatever you've got and I'll increase it 10, 20, 100 fold. But I can't find a place in the scriptures where it's ever okay to do division. You're going to have to know that. Because, frankly, dorm life can be a breeding ground for division. 
There's going to be friendships that occur and you're just naturally going to form smaller groups and you're going to run around with people that have like-mindedness in, in what you do. But if that group ever becomes more important to you than caring and loving and giving time to the rest of the community, you have already started a tear in the fabric of this community. If you ever are a part of one group pitted against another, and it can happen. Some of you have been on camp teams this summer. You already know. You've experienced that maybe to a very small degree, and I hopefully you got it all worked out. But you know it can happen. If it, and that begins to tear at the, 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 or the unity of this community. If you would ever group yourselves around a certain professor, I'm a Woodite. Sounds like some kind of termite. It, or a, a, I'm a Welchite. And you can take your pick on whichever one you want there. Or I'm a Garrisite, which, by the way, is the only one that sounds biblical, but... <laughs> You, you begin to cause a tear in the unity of this community. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, don't you ever do that. Don't you ever put one leader up on a pedestal at the expense of the others. Because there's something else you need to know about church math. Whenever you've got a unity problem, the answer is going to always have to be one. Just one. Chapter 3 is another problem where the me was more important than the we. It's a crazy little thing. These, these people just refused to grow up. They were more sophisticated about it. They were more subtle about it, but they were really just acting like little kids. I don't know how long it's been since you've been at the church nursery, but you can go across into any church across this nation and you're going to find the same thing because these little kids... They're not interested in we, they're interested in me. I mean, over here you'll find some little boy that's that's crying over his spilt milk, just his. And over here will be another little guy that's backbiting some cute little blonde. The only thing they share is the latest virus going around at the time. (laughs) Try to grab the red tractor in the middle of the room and you're taking your life into your own hands. Because all of a sudden there will be about... Twelve little toddlers that will converge on that red tractor and say, mine, mine. They're they're inconsistent with their affections. They'll hug you one, one minute and they'll flatten you the next. Toddlers are not known for playing well together. They get by with it because they're babies and because they're cute. Even the ugly ones. A refusal to grow up was an indictment, an embarrassing indictment against this church at Corinth. And so it is any wonder when Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians 13 and says this, When I was a child, I spoke, I uh, thought, I reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put childish things away. You, you want to know what adulting really is it's first corinthians 13 it's love is patient love is kind it is not rude it is not boastful 
It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. I'm going to tell you something. The me inside of you, it dies hard. I mean, my me is like a jack-in-the-box. I'll be get it stuffed down pretty good, and the music's playing pretty nice, and I think say, I'm safe, and, and then all of a sudden, out pops its ugly head again. And so what's awesome about living in community like this is we get to practice. We get to learn how to defer my rights, my agendas, my schedules, my wants, my needs for the needs of somebody else. And when we do that, we truly are living in community. I know you've got to be tired of hearing that you're the generation of entitlement. It's kind of insulting, isn't it? So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Will you show the world that you are people that can live in community? There's so much here in this letter, but before we, want to, before we go on, I just want to mention chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 5, Paul is shocked about the immorality that's going on in the church. That was bad enough. But then he was probably even more upset because the reluctance of the church to do anything about it. And how sad for the sinner and how sad for the church because it was tearing at the fabric of that community. I, this is my third year with Ozark Christian College. I've loved every minute of it. But I've been here long enough to know that some of you may still be caught up in some intentional, habitual sin. And if you are, I want to I talk to you about that for just a minute. And I want to tell you three things. First of all, sin is never private. It is never autonomous. It always affects. Your sin will affect me. My sin affects you. In fact, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 4, don't you understand that sin is like a little bit of yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? We must learn to take our sin seriously. Here's the second point I want to make with that. If you are ever caught up in some trap of sin, then for goodness sake, would you right now be transparent enough that you will get some help? Because all of us have struggled with sin. But I'm going to tell you, I get to be one of those people that have experienced the joy of God's grace. God's grace does not sweep things under the rug. No, he brings it up where it it has the, the light of day on it. And then that grace gives us the very strength that we need to overcome I'd hate to think that I'm 62 years old right now and still struggling with the same junk that I struggled with when I was in my 20s or 30s. People, victory should be ours. We shouldn't have to live the same way we always have. And then third, I want you to know that you have been prayed for. There are groups of people praying all over this campus for this student body. I get to meet with another couple of women, and we've done this since last spring. We meet once a week, and we pray for you. And one of the things we pray is that you get to experience the joy of being pure and holy in the Lord.
Not only does your way of thinking need to change when you move into community, so does your way of living. Can we just get this straight? You cannot live the Christian life outside of community. You need me. And I need you. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing that there's no doubt that maturity and, and transformation takes place on the vertical. I mean, our relationship with God is so important. That is how we are transformed. That is how we grow up. But it's also very, very true that it happens horizontally. We help each other mature and be transformed and grow up. I was listening to my daughter, Katie, uh, a couple of years ago when she was speaking at a church function. She was talking about how she and her husband, Josh, had decided that it was finally time to get a puppy for the family. Four kids, two of them were old enough to finally care and feed for a dog. So she said she got on busy looking online, looking at Craigslist, and she said that she was, look all these ads for these puppies, she noticed a, a common theme running through the ads. It was things like, this puppy is well socialized. This puppy is really good with the kids. This puppy loves cats, dogs, and chickens. <laughs> and she said, I find it dawned on me. This is, this is what they're saying. They're saying this is not necessarily the natural temperament of this puppy. They were saying they had put an effort into developing the temperament of that puppy so that it would be well socialized, good with kids. And they did it by setting a kid down beside the puppy or a chicken or a dog or a cat until they could learn to live at peace and actually love the other one. And so here was her point. If you and I want to be all that God intended us to be, then you need that guy right there and that guy right there and that one. And as you all learn to live together, and we all got little burrs on us, don't we? They get, they get rubbed off and they get made smooth. And we actually become the people God has always intended There's an old African idiom that says, a person is a person through other persons. Learn how to live with one another. Come in with a change of attitude. The me instead of the we. I want to close with this illustration. My dad is a just uh, two or three weeks away from being 95, was a veteran of World War II. And uh, he was in the Air Force. They made 30-some bombing missions into places like oil fields and things like that to try to cut off the supplies to the Germans. On one of those, of course, that last bombing mission they made in, they were shot down. All 10 members of the crew parachuted out. They were put in POW camps. I'm not going to go into all that because it was brutal. 
But I'm just going to tell you the camaraderie that happens between people that have endured such hard things is unbelievable. Well, one of those guys in POW camp, they all got back home. One of them, he never could figure out where he was. He knew he was from a town in northeast Missouri, but he had never gotten to have any contact with him all of those years. My son, Troy, 15 years ago, married Molly up in northeast Missouri. And as dad and mom came up to the wedding, they asked Molly's grandpa, where do you know where this town is? And well, you're not going to believe it, but that little town that wasn't even on the map anymore was very near where Troy and Molly were getting married. My dad told the name of the guy he was looking for. Grandpa went home and and called that name, actually got a hold of the guy and arranged a meeting the next morning. Randy got to be with him when they had that meeting. And he said, my dad was chatting up a storm until they pulled in the driveway. And there was that old man sitting in front of his garage doors on a chair. He's blind. My dad got out of the car. The old man heard my dad's voice, recognized it. And Randy said, the first thing that happened were tears. Two old men who had not seen each other in 60 years, bawling, bawling. Because of a love that was still just as strong as those days back in POW camp. Let me tell you what those men learned in the Air Force in a crew of ten, was this. They had to give up their rights. They had to give up the me that lives so deep down inside of them for the we. Because that's the only way they could have survived. And I'm going to tell you, as the Christian community is more and more and more marginalized, people, this is how we're going to survive. You give up your agendas. You give up your needs. You give your, up your wants for the good of this community. And there's something going to be spectacular that happens. Because one day, we're going to actually look like that community that Jesus talked about. And people are going to say to us, Oh, behold how they love one another. God bless.